0: of life in Christ. Paul knew that if the Ephesians understood who they were and began to live in Christ, the world would never be the same. The same can be true for today if we understand what it means to live in Christ. If we understand what it means to live in Christ. If we understood what it means to live in Christ. If we understand what it means to live in Christ, to be the church. Our city and our world would never be the same. Would never, be the same. Would never 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 be the same. Thank you that we have a living word that we can open up and study this morning. God, I thank you that we have lips where we've been able to sing praise to you. And Lord, as we are in this room with our Bibles open, God, I pray that we would have ears to hear, hearts to listen, and God, that truly things would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. And up to this point, this is what we've learned. Is that Paul has told us, welcome, how are you? It's good to see you. Glad you're here. And he said, and now let me tell you, in Christ you have every spiritual blessing. He spends some verses telling us what those spiritual blessings are. He says, one of the spiritual blessings that you have is that God planned before the foundation of the world... For you to have salvation. He said God the Son before the foundation of the world. Was ready to purchase your salvation with his blood on the cross at Calvary. And he said before the foundation of the world. The Holy Spirit was ready to present to you an opportune moment. Where you would give your life to Christ. And that's what Paul is telling the church at Ephesus. He said all this is yours. And then he says in verse 15. I have heard of your faith and he says therefore I've heard of this therefore I want to begin praying for you that you would know fully everything that you have in Christ because see here's a reality and I can say this because I live it many days in my life I believe that we as Christians are living beneath the level of power that God wants us to have you say well what do you mean by that pastor Well, how many days do you wake up and someone says, how are you doing? And you say, well, I'm doing pretty well under the circumstances. Or you wake up and you want to do right, but your your mind and your body don't cooperate. Or you want to walk away from sin, or you want to walk towards victory and it just doesn't happen and that's a lie that satan has pulled off on us he's pulled it over our eyes and the scripture says that every spiritual blessing is ours and that we have the victory in christ so let me do just a little bit of review for you to get us up to speed um ephesians is a prison letter ephesians four sixteen, 16 paul says as a prisoner of the lord So he's not bouncing around the street um, taking selfies, getting high fives and people lining up to get his autograph. He is in prison. He's in shackles. He's in chains. He is surrounded by guards that are watching him. And yet in the middle of that, in his circumstances, he is saying that you, I, us, we have every spiritual blessing. Now, if anybody had a moment where they could look and say, I don't have the opportunity for blessing, it would have been him right there. But yet he knows the truth, and in his life, the truth is prevailing the lie. The truth is defeating the lie. He is living the truth by dispelling the false. Now, I want to tell you what Satan wants you to do. Satan wants you to believe the lie and live in the lie and defeat the truth. But Paul says through Christ, through Christ you have life, you have eternal life, you have abundant life. Paul in this verse starting at verse 15, he is interceding for the people of Ephesus and by the wonder of the Holy Spirit he is now interceding for you and I today. The scripture says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for you. So as you're in here this morning, you're not here by accident. You're here by divine plan and that God himself, Jesus, is praying for you not just to have an experience, but a divine experience, a supernatural experience, an experience that causes you to step out and step over the sin that has so easily entangled you. Now listen to me. You have everything you need, And that's what Paul is praying for us today. He says, we have it. What is he praying? He's praying that there would be revelation. Revelation is illumination. That the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that this word would be more than just a conversation between us, but it would be revealed to you all that God has for you. So take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, And let me start reading in verse 15, and I'm going to read all of it, 15 to 23, to you. Today we'll focus on 18 to 23. Paul, praying, says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, Making mention of you in my prayers. He said, I'm doing more than just saying, God, thank you for mom and dad. God, thank you for my friends. Thank you for my family. He says, I am thanking God for you. I'm thanking God for your faith. He says, but I am also interceding. I'm going to God taking the the real things that we're facing. I'm taking those to the Father. He says, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding will be uh, understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. Paul is saying to us, the church, via the people of Ephesus, that he wants us to have resurrection power right now. We often believe that one day, great day, sweet day, day in the out there, that we're going to be like him. He says, no, through what happened at the resurrection, you already have it, you can already live it. And when you walk around saying, well, I would or I could or I wish I could or I should, then you are believing a lie that Satan has sold to us from way back at the Garden of Eden. He says, right now, you have resurrection power in verse 19 it says the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe in the greek that that word there means available right now it's not to come it has come it is yours again i know that the majority of us we don't feel this power it sounds idealistic it sounds like a religious hype or a vague statement that we wish were true but it does not correspond to experience. And because we're emotional people, we often base our truth on experience, and experience is not always a good judge. He says, so I want to tell you, right now, in this moment, in this place, at this time, you have resurrection power. You have the ability to say no to sin. You have the ability to say yes to God. You have your... The ability to live a surrendered life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is ours. It is available. It is made available through the resurrection power that is yours. Say it with me. Right now. It is ours. What is the main reason that we do not feel this resurrection power? Go back with me to verse 18. He says in verse 18 that... The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. Why would he say that pray for us to have enlightenment if we were already enlightened? What he's saying is your heart is dull. The eyes of your heart are dull. You cannot see truth in your life. And he's praying that right now in this moment that it's like the song says, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see Jesus. Paul is praying for your dull heart, your closed eyes, to be open to all that is available to you this morning. Now, if we understand that Paul is praying for us, that our eyes would be open, and by implication he's saying because our heart is dull, then we need to begin to understand what causes a dull heart. My mother has silver, and that silver will tarnish oxidation causes it, it takes away the bright, it causes it to be dull. And from time to time, it has to be polished. So this morning, what we're saying is, God, take the tarnish off my heart, polish it up, shine it, so that it will be bright, so that the whole world will see that we are salt and that we are light. We are real, yes, in the middle of it, we don't walk around acting like everything's okay, but in the middle of our life, we're saying, God, here I am. Remove the tarnish, enlighten us, open our eyes. Well, what are the causes of the dull heart? For the silver, the cause of dullness is oxidation. For the heart, one of the things that we see that causes us to have a dull heart is sin. You see, we must be convinced that God is opposed to sin. We must be convinced that sin is that thing that will separate us from God. In fact, go look in the Scriptures and and do a search that finds out what sin will do. The Scripture says that sin will block your prayers. The Bible says that sin will hinder fellowship. And so for you and I to have an enlightened heart, one of the things that we must begin to understand is this that sin is a big deal. Say it with me, big deal. It's not an oops, I messed up, or God, I'm sorry if I offended you. The scripture shows us that we fall before our knees with a contrite heart, with a broken heart, and say, Father, I I have sinned against you. I have knocked you out of your rightful place. I have placed my own thoughts and selfish desires ahead of you. And God, because I've done that, I now have a dull heart. Sin causes a dull heart. But listen, it's not only sin that causes a dull heart. It's unaware of the power of Satan in your life. Oh, it's so easy to say, see the devil as the the red man with horns and a tail walking around with a pitchfork on Halloween. And we say, oh, isn't that cute? He is not cute. The scripture says that he is a destroyer, destroyer, is that right? Um, A destroyer of the brethren. In other words, his main objective in life is to kill you, to destroy you, to wipe away your life before you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because at the moment that he does that, you are no longer in a relationship with God or no longer have the possibility of a relationship with God. But the scripture says that you are eternally separated from God. You do not need to think that there's such a thing as innocent sin or weak power when it comes to Satan. Sin will separate you from God. Sin will dull your heart. Satan's power is enough to wipe you out. In fact, I only know one that's ever withstood the full force of Satan. And that's Jesus himself. When he was in the wilderness, and he said, hey, I'll give you, hey, I'll give you, hey, I'll give you. And Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Everybody else that has ever been created, everybody else that will be created, as precious as my little grandson is going to be in just a few weeks when I get to hold him, he is still a dirty little sinner that needs Christ. That is hard for me to fathom, but that's the truth of Scripture. That he is born with a nature that will have a propensity to sin. And everybody in this room is there. And you can say, oh, Satan is just this. No, Satan is real. And he is gunning for you. There's a kid's song that says, Satan is a liar and we don't like him. His power over me is none. Satan is a liar and I don't like him. His power over me is none. I don't know the rest of it, but there's more song, I promise you. And listen to me. He is a liar. He will convince you that it's just a little thing, but it is a big deal. And it will dull your heart. And when your heart gets dull, you will not be able to comprehend the depths and the riches of all that God has for you through the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the response? Man, we've got to cry out to God. God, give me your view of sin. God, help me to see your truth of Satan. But let me tell you what else will dull your heart. It's an being unaware of Jesus' power after the resurrection. Again, it's so easy by familiarity to say, oh, that cute little Easter story. Where Jesus was died on a cross, Jesus was buried in a tomb, and Jesus rose again. And everybody goes, woo, way to go God. But you see, that's not all of it. Because once He was resurrected, the Scripture says that He was also transferred and that now He is seated at the right hand of the Father and God Himself is praying for you to have victory in life. That's who He is. That's where He is. And if you have a too small a view of God, it will dull your heart. If you have too little a view of Satan, it will dull your heart. If you harbor sin in your life, it will dull your heart. And the consequence is this. You'll get mad at God. You'll get mad at people. You'll get mad at the church. You'll put your Bible in the back of your car. You won't read it. And you'll walk around making excuses for everything in your life and what everybody else has done and when all you need to do is look in the mirror and say, Search me, God. How do I know that? I got a t-shirt that says, I've been there. All right? It's proven. It's proven in my life. It's proven in 30 years, 28 years, whatever years of ministry where I have met with people and sin has begun to be made little of. Satan's power has has begun to be made little of and the power of Christ has been overlooked and all of a sudden, how did I get here? It just started with a thought. And the thought took root. And the thought bore fruit. And the life was destroyed. Paul says, I'm praying that you will not have a dull heart. He tell, in the scripture we begin to understand what is the cause of a, of a dull heart. Go back to verse 18. Where he says to us, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know. That's a great word, right? Not that you'll guess. Not that you'll walk around having to go, is it over here? Could I find it back there? God, where is it? I'm looking for it. He says, oh, no, I'm fixing to put it in plain sight, front and center, center stage. I'm going to put spotlights on it. And every one of you, I'm praying that you will know. Now, when you see that word know, let me tell you what you need to know. It's not know like the devil knows. Because the scripture says that even the demons believe everything that they need to believe about God. In fact, the scripture would tell you that Satan and his principalities and powers, his partners, his people, if you will, to put it in our vernacular, they already have it. So it's not, I'm praying that you will have knowledge in your head. He says, I am praying that you will know it as in by experience. So, I had a Reese's um, (laughs) peanut butter cup to hold up here. I got to looking at it while I was studying, and I ate the evidence. All right, so sorry, I don't have my evidence to point to you. But here's the truth. I could stand up here with that piece of candy that I did have, that I ate before I got here, and I could hold it up, and I could say, look, Reese's peanut butter cup. And some of you would say, I know that's good. I know it's good because I've seen the commercial. I know it's good because my friends eat it. Some others of you, your mouth's going to start watering. You're going to say, man, I know that Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is really good. And how will you know it? Because you will know it consciously. It is a knowledge that you have. You know it experientially because you have tasted and seen that it is good. And Paul says, I'm praying that you won't just have knowledge of everything that's in here. He says, I want you to have a conscious understanding. I want you to have an experience that says that God is there. He says, I'm praying that your dull heart will be an enlightened heart so that you will know who he is. And what does Paul want us to know? Keep reading with me back at verse 18. He says, I'm praying the eyes of your understanding being enlightened... That you may know what is the hope of His calling. He wants you to know the hope of your calling. He wants you to know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. I want you to know what you're called to. I want you to understand the riches that you have And I want you to know that there's great power on your behalf. Do you see this? He's not praying that you get the calling. He's not praying that you become heirs. He's not praying that you get the power. He says, I want you to know what you already have. I'll give you a really good example. Happened this morning. I like my pen. I like my pens to be where I leave them when I leave them. And when I go pick them up, I want them to be right there. And sometimes I turn my pens just to see if anybody moved them. Okay, I got to get over it. I'm going to talk to the counselor this week, I promise. But I come bebopping around the corner of the building this morning, and there's Miss Gail. She has got two, not just two pens, She has got two boxes of pens. Actually, my favorite pens. She didn't have to ask me if she could have those pens. Because on July the 22nd, 1989, all that was mine became hers. All that was mine became hers. Did I say that right? Anyway, what's hers is hers and what's mine is hers. Is that the way you say (laughs) it? Ah. <laughs> but she didn't have to ask because on that day, at that moment, at that time, it was hers. On that day that Christ enters your heart, you're not going to get a calling. You're not going to get riches. You're not going to get power. You receive power right then. And it is the power that will cause you to be victorious and allow you to be victorious in all Of life, so Paul is praying that we would understand what we have. (laughs) Let's do it that way. What, and for us to do that, for us to understand what we have, for us to understand the hope, the power, and the riches that we have. We we need to understand. What happened to Jesus after the resurrection? So I want you to look with me now in verses 20 through 23 because Paul spends some time now talking to us about what happened to Jesus. In other words, this power that's yours is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And look what this power did. Verse 20 says, which he worked in Christ. What did he work in Christ? His mighty power. And this mighty power that he worked in Christ, this is what it did. It says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, can we agree on this that when Jesus died that everybody that was standing there thought Jesus was going to do like every other dead man or dead woman in the history of humanity? He was going to stay dead? Right? I mean, that's why there's despair. But what God did in Christ was with His mighty power, He raised Him from the dead. That mighty power is available to you. The same power that raised Him from the dead is now in your life. But keep reading. He says it's not only um, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, but now it says that He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Oh, He didn't just bring Him up and out of the grave to walk around the earth. To keep on living like he had lived before he died. He raised him up and then transported him to heaven. And when he put him at heaven, he seated him at his right hand. And we already know that he's praying for us. But the scripture says that not only that, but he put him there in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And everything that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So, Satan is powerful. We don't need to forget that. To forget Satan's power will dull your heart. But what God says my power did was when Jesus died, I rose him from the dead. When Jesus died, I seated him at the right hand of the Father. And when I seated him there, I gave him power over Satan and all his principalities. So, the devil made me do it is a lie for a believer. He could make you do it, but you have dominion over Him because of the power that's been worked through Christ. He says it's there, it's yours, but keep reading. It says He put all things under His feet and He gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So verse 20a says that when we talk about the power, the aspects of what Jesus became, the power that caused Him to rise from the dead that's now in us, if we keep looking at that, in verse 20, part A, it says, the power of God toward us now is like the great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Verse 20, part B, says that He seated Him at the right hand. Verse 21 says that He seated Him above all... Power and dominion, principalities, Satan and all of his cohorts. But not only Satan, any other name. So when a government leader or a political leader rises up and says, Look at me. Oh no, Jesus' name is above that name. And there he is. But then in verse 22, he says that he put all things under him, his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. The fifth thing that we would see there is the power of God towards us now is the great might that God worked when He made the church, His body, the fullness of Him. So let's break those down right quick. When we say that God raised Jesus from the dead and broke the power of death, what does that mean? God raised Him from the dead. He will never die again. The point here is that the power of death is broken for all who are in Christ. The enemy is defeated. Death is defeated. For Paul, the death of Christ, was the death of death. You see, in Christ you will cease to live on this earth, but in the twinkling of an eye, in the moment, to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. You don't fear death because it's just a transition from earth to heaven, from sin to sinlessness, from physically out of the presence of God to physically in the presence of God, and it is yours. Right now. He says, death has been defeated. The power of God toward us is this power. It raised us spiritually from the dead and it gave us life and faith. It opened our blind eyes. It enlightened our hearts. It conquers our rebellious will and it created a new heart in us. The next thing that Paul says to us about this power is that God seated Jesus at the right hand, and guess what? And us with Him. Go back to verse 20. Seated at His right hand in the heavenly places. The power that installed Jesus at God's right hand has also put us there. Look, Ephesians 2.6 says this. God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is resurrection power right now. It is yours. The next thing we see is that God set Jesus over all demonic powers. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. <laughs> we know from Ephesians six twelve that these rulers and authority include Satan and the demons of the universe. The power that is in you right now is a devil-defeating power. That kind of sounds like a superhero, doesn't it? So everybody do it with me right now. Oh, I got it. It is devil-defeating power. You do not have to look and say, Satan's got me. He doesn't have you because Jesus has you, and his power is greater It is devil-defeating power. Colossians 2.15 says that at the cross, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Their defeated foe. But hear me, they are not out of this world yet. There are going to be battles. There are going to be temptations. There's going to be moments when you're defeated. And it's at those moments that when Satan has got you deceived, that you remember that the power that raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father has defeated him. You remind him of his future, and you say, Today, God, it's yours. The Scripture says his mercy is new every morning. I don't know what happened last night. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon in your life. But I know when you wake up in the morning that that power is new and it's fresh. And through confession and repentance, you can say, God, forgive me, cleanse me from my unrighteousness. And the scripture says that he is faithful and just to do that. That is devil-defeating power. God gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. I think we have to notice two things here. The first thing is that Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, is head over all things. Head is, implies authority. It's a conscious, active rule. And so when you say, if you can get a thought in your head and say, is Jesus over this, the answer is yes. So health, he's over it. Wealth, he's over it. Government, he's over it. Sin, he's over it. Whatever it is, he is over it. And the second thing that you need to remember is that God gave him as head over all things to the church, which means, who's the church? We are the church. So he gave him as head over all things and to the church. So guess what, church? We've been given that power. So here's what's happening. We're believing lies, living wimpy, walking around like we have nothing and that we're victims and we need to stand up and say that my king is over all things. And my king has empowered me to be over all things. Toward us is what the scripture says. It's resurrection power now to live and to die for the glory of Christ. Now will Satan corrupt that idea of power? Yes he will. He'll corrupt it to make you think that you're your own God. There's all examples all through scripture, all through history where people have taken that power and corrupted it. It's not power for the sake of giving you power. It's power for the sake of you living as the ambassador of Christ who now goes and lives so people will see your good works, glorify Him, and say, I want what you have, and that is Jesus. So be careful. Where God rules, we will rule. Not rulers. Typo. I apologize. Go back to verse 23 which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. As believers, His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. God's power towards us intends us to fill the universe with the authority of His Son, His crucified Son, Jesus Christ. And you say, well, why did Satan have to get involved in that? Because if you go back to the book of Genesis... When God created Adam, the Scripture says that He gave him what over all the earth? Dominion, rule, right? And He gave it to him. And when He gave him dominion over all the earth, it was for all humanity to rule and to glor- use the universe to glorify God. But that fateful day in the Garden of Eden when the snakes slithered up and Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, we lost dominion. So it was legally lost. It, could, it was gained by a means that was justified. It was theirs to own, theirs to have, theirs to possess, and theirs to pass down to all generations. But at the moment that they made the decision to eat the fruit, it was legally lost. But the first thing we would know about it is it was given by God, so it was gloriously given. Gloriously given, legally lost that means it had to be rightfully regained and if it was lost by a man it could only be regained by a man and god sent his son who was fully man and he was fully god but he lived on earth as a man he died as a man and when he died on the cross at calvary when he was buried in that tomb and when he rose again he rightfully regained what was legally lost in the garden of eden And if you want to rightfully be regained, I don't know if that's good grammar, but if you want to be rightfully regained by what was legally lost through sin, you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ, admit you're a sinner, allow God to sift through you and say, search me, God, and know me. Don't try to hide your sin around the corner, but lay it out in the middle. Let God look at it. He already sees it. You openly confess it. And you say, Father, here it is. This is what has happened. This is who I am. I'm tired of blaming me. I'm tired of blaming my spouse. I'm tired of blaming my circumstances, my situation, my health. I'm tired of playing games with it. God, I sinned against you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And the scripture says what was legally lost can rightfully be regained in your life right now in this moment through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul is praying that you will know, not devil know, knowledge, but experientially, consciously know what is available to you and that you can wake up and live your life glorified for him. Satan is real. Satan hates you. (laughs) Satan hates your faith. Satan hates your worship, Satan hates your marriage, Satan hates your singleness, he hates your children, he hates our ministry. And I'm going to tell you this, Paul says, I want you to know that power, that power that defeats everything that Satan hates, God's love triumphs. That's where it is. Last thought, we will win. Paul is saying to us that from the middle of the battle, from inside the front lines, I am writing to you. I am praying for you. I am asking God to let you know that your tarnished heart will be made undull. He says, I'm writing from inside the battle. Victory's yours. What stops you today from appropriating the victory that God has for your life? What is guilt killing? What is fear killing? What is doubt killing? What is the fear of consequence killing? What's causing you this morning not to jump up and say, I am yours? The dark days of sin are awful, but the bright days of surrender are worth it.